like to start with standards versus policies. I think standards are a little bit more palatable. We make those documents very educational so that they're guidance, not just thou shalt do such and such or so and so. Because if you just start pushing tools into an environment, there's a lot of testing going on and there's a lot of results coming back, but nobody knows what to do with them. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who do we have joining us for this episode? Rob, our guest today is Kristen Bell. Kristen is a Senior Manager of Application Security Engineering at GuidePoint Security, who has worked in application security for over 16 years. Uh, Prior to joining GuidePoint, Kristen consulted for numerous companies performing application security services. She now focuses on helping organizations build and mature application security programs and improve their enterprise vulnerability management. Kristen, anything else you'd like to add about your background before we get started? Oh, no. I, I think just maybe that I was a developer prior um, in, in, in my life before AppSec. So I, I've been a very long career on the software side of the house. <laughs> well, that helps a lot when you're trying to work with developers and understanding security. If you were one before, you at least can speak their same language, right? Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today, and um, you know, I want to start with just the the establishment of a application security program. You know, many organizations um, understand now that they can't defer addressing you know the risk associated with apps, right? Um, but while they know they had to get visibility into application vulnerabilities and weaknesses, many organizations don't know how to get started, right? And they and even if they do, they may not have the right resources to continue the maturity journey and they get stuck. So how do you help organizations get started on building that application security program? Or if they've already gotten one going, but they don't know how to mature it, how do you help them get past that that, that current state into where they need to get going as a target state? Sure. So yeah, I think a, a lot of organizations are struggling, right? Because they're just are so so many jobs, there's such a a large need for application security experts and not enough people to fill those uh, positions. So one of the things that we talk about is the change of culture, right? We've we've really evolved um, from in application security specifically from being more of the of a partner to development and really communicating with them. Um, And part of that communication path, we use uh, toolboxes of of all kinds of things like um, the software assurance maturity model from the OWASP, which is the Open Web Application Security Project. It's all open source. I'm a big believer in um, all of the the goodies that OWASP has out there. It's much, much more than the top 10. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people assume it's the top 10 and that's kind of where it ends, but really the resources out there are incredible. And it gives the... Uh, the teams between application security or the security team and the development teams, um, a bridge and a a whole bunch of things 
actionable things that they can do with regard to their, their program. And the best part is you can literally leverage the content um, of the software assurance maturity model. You can leverage their ideas because it is open source, it's community built and industry accepted. So you don't have to in, you know, reinvent the wheel every time you're looking at an AppSec program. You kind of have these, these boilerplate things to start with. Now, Kristen, you know, we've always seen or typically seen AppSec sit within the information security teams, right, underneath the CISO, for example. Um, but again, over the past several years, we've seen a lot of that kind of shifting and better working, as you talked about, right, some of the culture kind of collaboration, the communication efforts with dev teams, testing teams as well. So as we're getting better in that shift to better integrate and, again, you know, meet kind of everyone's needs and accomplish the goals of securing the applications holistically, just when you think about kind of over those several years, what are some of the things that you're seeing and how that's been impacting the organization to better work together with one another, get the better results? Right. So, so I think developers have far more skin in the game at, at this point. So they need that place at the table. You know, we're, we're pushing tools out into their environments and into their IDEs and all of these things. So they, they really need a say and they, they really need um, that partnership. Like I said, I think we've really changed from being the people who say no to being the people who say, here's how you do this, right? We're enablers and we're teachers and mentors in these programs. Um, the, the, the thing I think that happens in, in this culture now, you know, I tell, I tell CISOs all the time, I'm like, application security governance resides in the security office. You have to have the checks and balances, but application security and the actual execution of it resides on all of the shoulders of everyone who interacts with the SDLC. And I think that's desired, right? I was literally just talking to a client yesterday who right now they sort of make a request to security to get some code scanning, the results come back. And one of these developer leaderships, uh, leadership members was telling me, he's like, we need the developers to be able to be armed with tools that they can run and be more proactive with. And I completely agree with that. So, um, and we also need to leverage QA people. QA people are the best friends of the AppSec uh, individuals because most AppSec people, I think that there was a, a, a number that came out not too long ago that said, the statistics are basically one AppSec person to about 80 developers in right, most organizations. Right. So as far as you know, encouraging uh, the dev side to integrate in security testing, right? As you're saying you have to multi a multi-pronged kind of approach. Do you, do you prefer a carrot or a stick? I mean, do you, do you, do you, I mean, do you look at a governance angle as far as like including it as standards and policies that's critical apps or high risk apps need to have a certain level of testing? Do you, do you leverage KPIs um, that are looking for vulnerability density? I mean, what 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 are some of the approaches you have to, to actually push it even further as far as the adoption? Right. So so I think all of the above, right? But we but you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither was an AppSec program, right? So I think we have to have some frameworks in place, right? We have to have. I like to start with standards versus policies. I think standards are a little bit more palatable. We make those documents very educational so that they're guidance, not just thou shalt do such and such or so-and-so. 
Um, but we also, uh, because if you just start pushing tools into an environment, there's a lot of testing going on and there's a lot of results coming back, but nobody knows what to do with them. Developers, if they have some sort of feasible SLAs to be able to know what's most important, how to prioritize their time, because a lot of this is also time management, you know, what's important from what's not. When we start talking about, say, just software composition analysis uh, results, where we may find, you know, a bunch of criticals, but is a critical in a public facing application that's used by you know an organization's entire customer base as critical as a critical finding in an application that's internally facing that the five people in the accounting team use you know those two criticals are very very different from a risk uh, acceptance profile right and it can be overwhelming right and so you you basically are saying small rocks have some successes and build on that over time Right. Yeah, especially in large organizations, you know, they need a starting point. They can't boil the ocean. If you try to do too many things at once, you'll fail, right? And if you try to, we, we talk about just pilot projects, um, pilot initiatives, you know, starting out with the most mission critical applications, because those are the ones that you want to put more of your AppSec budget dollars into anyway. Um, and then we also talk about starting things like, I don't love calling it a security champions program, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. If I use that term, I, I like to call it an AppSec advisory board, but essentially bringing in representatives of all of the siloed disparate development teams to meet with the AppSec team. And we recommend one hour once a month, because even the busiest teams can sacrifice one person, one hour, once a month. Um, it does require executive leadership backing though, to get that, to get that done. And then the, those meetings have to be actionable. And that's back circling back to where the software assurance maturity model uh, is a treasure trove of, of activities for that team to, to accomplish together. Yeah, you've, you've spoken to um, what I like to refer to as quick visible wins, right? You set the goals for your program, you, you ensure that you're going to meet and hopefully achieve or exceed those, and then you're going to get more funding, you're going to get more buy-in. So all those elements, as you said, really come into play. One of the things that you've talked about, right, is um, different examples of things that are required for that synergy between the dev teams, testing teams, and security teams. When you have those conversations with the CISOs, though, what are you seeing as kind of the maybe top three areas that drive the best outcomes for their organization, right? Kind of look at the business sense of it, right? What's it going to enable for them that the CISO can then take and explain to the board, hey, look, these are the things that we'll be able to do better at because of the program that we're further investing in, the synergies that we're building with the dev teams uh, as, as, again, part of that reduction and friction that's typically been there in the past. So when we're talking to the CISOs and, and they're trying to figure out what they need to tell their board, what they need to educate um, whomever they are answering to or are trying to justify budget for their AppSec programs. One of the things that we stay away from that we used to talk about a whole lot was the cost of a breach. I think people have gotten pretty weary with discussing the cost of a breach, right? It's kind of, we, we use that 
uh, mantra for a very long time. And what we really want to focus on with them is the cost difference between fixing an issue at the end of the development cycle when it's discovered in the 11th hour when everybody wants to go to production versus being proactive and eliminating through education, eliminating vulnerabilities at the very beginning of the development life cycle, and then in an iterative manner throughout the development life cycle. Um, There is a Dartmouth study that was done by their business school that literally puts it in scientific terms, has a hypothesis and a conclusion and everything in between. Um, And it, it really illustrates in a very factual way the the cost savings to an organization if they have a robust AFSEC program. Um, the reason that this is the case, I think the, the root cause is that we have to understand from a business perspective that developers, most of the workforce, I would say, out there in the development world was not formally educated in secure coding when they went to school, if they got a degree in computer science or if they got training in development. Um, That's something that's been added to college curriculums and is much more common to find these days, but that that was not the case for a very long time. So unless a developer has worked for an organization with a strong AppSec program, they're still learning these basic concepts. These concepts are new to them. So we are very much an educational mode when it comes to teaching developers how to write secure code. So you make the business case that it's more cost efficient to find vulnerabilities and weaknesses earlier in the life cycle. Do you have a security testing method that you recommend um, that they they start with, or are you um, basing that decision on their own capabilities and and from there launching into what they should start with, would be static or dynamic? Right. So I think it's really based on the organization. What are their goals? What's keeping them up at night? Like you said, what are their resources? Uh, you know, what, where are their biggest concerns? You know, we have some clients who have a very, very small team. They don't have many developers, their budget's extremely small. Um, so the, the, the solutions for them are going to be probably more like a DAST, right? Where they have an application security person who might learn some manual testing techniques as well who can kind of manage all of the testing on behalf of the team. Whereas, and, just, and, and, and Kristen, sorry ahead. to interrupt, but for, for our listeners, DAST is Dynamic Application Security Testing. Um, yes. For like an out, outside-in kind of approach. Yes, and it, it really looks at the application running in its ecosystem. So it it can find a lot of things. It's, it's a handy tool for an AppSec person to have. But in other cases where we have um, clients who are sort of reading about the, the latest statistics on how much open source is in an application, you know, there are some studies that say 80%. They're mostly concerned with that open source and less concerned with their internal development teams writing secure code. So some of them are starting with software composition analysis tools that go looking for outdated 
third-party components um, and, that are vulnerable. You know, we just saw a big to-do with Log4j, and that's completely related to people leveraging Log4j within their applications. And mm-hmm. then that, you know, the vulnerability, the zero day came out. Um, we're also seeing that with some other things. Um, and then for others, they're really their priorities are to arm the developers with tools to test their code often and early. And so they may start with a static analysis tool that plugs directly into the developer's environment. So it really takes listening to them and listening to their priorities and the things that they're struggling with the most and the things that they're concerned with the most to figure out where to start. Overall, I would say they that manual pen testing by third parties for everything that's important within an organization's environment isn't 100% sustainable. We'll still need those third-party validations and assessments uh, you know, for compliance and for that checks and balances. There will always be a place for those. But I think uh, we're in a day and time when people want the most bang out of their application security budget dollars, and they really want to do more across their app sec- or their their application portfolio. Well, Kristen, you've brought forward many different points. We appreciate what you're sharing with our listeners today, such as leveraging the great resources from the OWASP, as well as the better partnering between application security teams and dev teams as a whole. The emphasis around security teams being responsible for the governance of the program is interesting, but as you mentioned, it's really everyone's responsibility to actually execute it. So we appreciate your time today and thank you. Thank you all. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.